Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip hop that discusses where hip hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suami. And I'm James Rathbone. And we are excited to be with you again. And this week we're doing something very special. It's our first time ever. We solicited questions from our listeners through Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, all of the social media platforms, not Snapchat. No one was on it. We, we went there. We got no questions from Snapchat. <laughs> but all of the other platforms, people were popping. We have a lot of questions and we are going to dip into our mailbag and yes. see what the listeners want to talk about. Yeah. And if uh, your question isn't answered today, it doesn't mean we're not going to get to it. We got so many questions that it wouldn't be possible for us to go through them and give each one the fair consideration it's due. Uh, so if it's not answered today, it will be theoretically answered at some point in the future, even if it's on an ASAP rest, uh, Rocky testing schedule. <laughs> if we were to answer all of the questions with the proper consideration that it deserves that we got, it would take 11 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We don't believe in 11-hour podcasts yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah, that might be the next wave. That's the next wave. Um, Okay, let's dive into the mailbag. Our first question comes via Daniel R. of Brooklyn, New York. What city slash region will be the next Atlanta? You've both discussed on the pod about how Florida is making a big splash, but is there another place that hasn't blown up yet? Hmm. It's a tough question. What do you think? It is a tough question. Uh, you know where I would honestly say uh, would be the next Atlanta? Right now, it would be New York City, which would be like uh, maybe a controversial opinion. But like New York has been in the shadows for a long time, and I, it's there's been a number of artists like coming out in the last few years, whether uh, whether you're into them or not. Obviously, there's Cardi B, who you probably are into. There's 6 9 who you may or may not be into. There's A Boogie with a hoodie. A Boogie. You know. Even even the second stringers are standing really strong in yeah. New York. You got Casanova, yeah. who's kind of like a throwback to a 2000s, late 90s, just straight mm. goon, yeah. who's signed to Rock Nation. Yeah. Um, and if you think of, like, honestly... Young like, M.A. Young M.A. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Bobby Sheck West. Sheck West. That's right. Yeah. Sheck West. Like like New York, that's a great a great response because New York really has for the first time in a generation mm-hmm. like a good 6 to 10 viable contemporary stars who have a foothold in the game, which for years they had like a barren wasteland where it was Mims. Yes. <laughs> yeah. know, the yeah. Mims era of yeah, New York. Yeah. Dark times. Um I mean in some ways ASAP Rocky presaged it, but I feel like it was really Bobby Schmurda that brought it back yes. to like the streets, the street level. Yeah. I mean, which we didn't even mention ASAP Rocky and ASAP Ferg and yeah. ASAP. But Mom. they're, I mean, they're like six years in or whatever, it's true. seven years it's true. in. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm, I also know that there is like uh, a bunch of people who are on sort of the street level rap that haven't broken through that are kind of in a similar way that to the rappers that we've sort of mentioned here that are like are the the Toronto bubbling people like Pressa or it's kind of like Smoke Dog or someone like that. There's a whole like scene of that that Six Nine kind of or Bobby Schmurda mm-hmm. were kind are kind of examples where they broke out. Um mm-hmm. and uh, I bet there's a, a bunch of talent there just because people rappers in New York historically have so much media access that you'll probably see in the next like six months to a year a bunch more of them kind of breaking out mm-hmm. yeah that's a good answer I, don't, I honestly I can't think of anything other than Florida 
it's, yeah, it's, hard, it's hard for like yeah. you know it's it's unfortunate because Daniel sort of answered it in his own yeah. question but yeah, yeah. honestly like the names from Florida are just like they're so overwhelming yes to, like in a way they never were before never slip and slide records that was about it slip and slide and yeah. Then, yeah then there was Rick Ross yeah and then that was sort of you know a trick daddy tr- like yeah, yeah slip, slip and slide. slide yeah but then just the whole Denzel Curry when the the space goes perp like way yeah echoes like, of that yeah and the Denzel Curry and Rob Banks and Kodak Black and Access Intention and just like yeah list goes on smoke perp come on it's just little pump like it's actually ridiculous yeah it's really really shocking yeah <laughs> for sure okay let's uh, let's move on to the next question great Mitch O from Toronto asks who is the ideal rapper you would be comfortable introducing your child to at an age that's probably too young but you love hip hop and think it's important for the children, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, it's a rapper. It's an older rapper by the name of William Smith. He's from <laughs> Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has wholesome raps with a good message. Uh, it's a good faux rebellious music for your child. Mm. Um, yeah, I would think of like I would think a rapper. Honestly, I feel like you'd have to raise your kid on the classics, <laughs> like yeah. if you, on, on like the wholesome classics. Mm-hmm. You gotta hit him with that. You gotta hit him with the a hip, a hop, a hip it to the hip. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring that kid in. You can't go straight to Migos. Yeah, Migos, that's like eleven. Yeah, <laughs> right. You can't let you can't. You don't want your child to be tra- knowing what trapping up the bando means until they're at least eleven. Yeah, you know, preteen years. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean. I've always thought Tribe would would be something that I would want. Not Georgie like, Porgy. Everything, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything yeah, the, the, the except main, the, the virulently homophobic stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the main cuts. Uh, you know, probably a little bit of Missy Elliott. That's kind of like kind of baby talkish already, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely agree with Tribe, and I also think that I also think something about like jazz bass production is really mm-hmm. good for children. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to hip hop, like it's a good way to wean to like you know bring them up on it. Yeah, it's like sneaking in their vegetables. Yeah, I I also think that like at you know those really young ages, um, I mean they're I mean it depends on how young how young age we're talking here. Yeah, you know I think you know two three. You know, you might, you might, you, you, you can, can get away with it. You can get away oh, with it. Oh, absolutely. Most every, but, I know a bunch of young parents and they all play really hardcore hip hop with the presumption that like the kids don't understand any of it when they're, before they're like verbal. What if the kid goes to preschool and it's like, you a fuck nigga. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and then what? <laughs> well, it's like, yeah. Damn, I, mean, I can't be playing so, I can't be playing Chief Keef around the kids <laughs> yeah. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> fuckers in nursery school talking about <laughs> Chief Keefe ain't that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I would say Will Smith, Tribe, um, Outcast. Gonna... Yes, Outcast. Yeah. You know, Miss Jackson. Uh huh. Let know. your child know about child support issues <laughs> yeah. early on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's other things Chance that I'm not. Chance the rapper, maybe. Yeah, social experiment stuff is pretty. Kid-friendly. Yeah, that's okay. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Don't play acid rap. Yeah. It's like what's acid? It's, yeah, it's gonna. Ha- It'll I've... open your third eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like it. It's like Chance will have the. It's like a going backwards with him. Like by by his like fifth album, it will just be a kid's record probably. Like it's just getting more wholesome with time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Our next question is from Thomas R. 
I think from Toronto, but I don't no, know. No, I think Thomas is from Halifax. Oh, pardon me, Thomas. When did you know that you were really into music? And there's a sub-question within that from Max L, the earlier question. What was the first music you really obsessed over or fell in love with? Um, for me, uh, I would got. I mean, I was always into music uh, in some way. Uh, like I was into like pop music and Eminem and Dr. Dre in middle school. And my parents were into music, so there was always music playing. Um, as far as it becoming really a part of my identity, though, that I would say it sort of started in grade nine for me when uh, I just started listening to the radio all the time and buying CDs. I went to my first show that year, which was Weezer. Uh, and then I was really into um, like indie music when I was in high school. And I was lucky enough that the summer I turned 16, they took out the non-smoking ban. So I started going to a lot of shows every weekend. Uh, I grew up in Hamilton and it was, it was like a really, I felt really lucky that that sort of happened at the same time because it was like better than just like hanging out in my friend's basement. I could like actually go to shows and see all these acts. And at that time I it was also, I was also sort of getting into to hip hop, but it was like very much of like the sort of conscious stuff that was like kind of less scary or something for, uh, at that time. Like I was into sort of like Black Alicious and Nas and was deaf and that kind of thing. And then eventually I, uh, kind of started getting sick of indie rock and I went into Urban Outfitters one day and I was like everything I, I know is a lie and I need to like get it just read this part of my life and uh, the, from then on the hip hop parts kept growing and I just kept discovering more and more classic albums and I loved how uh, how much uh, rap had this really like storied history and there was all of these like sort of things you had to know and this great like well of knowledge that it was like you were at the time very encouraged to like know the classics and you couldn't really claim to be like a serious like hip-hop head if you didn't know hadn't listened to all these records and all that so yeah that's that's my story hmm. james loves a good barrier to entry mm-hmm. um i feel i first started listening to hip-hop when i was probably uh like nine years old i remember just my older brother was listening to like Biggie and Tupac. And I feel like I, I remember when, so this was 1997, but I remember when Biggie died. I remember one of my brother's friends coming over to our place and talking about, and basically giving like a truncated version, a retelling of the beef, like the origins of the beef. He's like, so like, you know, Biggie, Biggie's people had Tupac killed and then they came after, <laughs> then they came after Biggie. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I, like, I didn't really know what, mm -hmm. what any of this was, but I have a vivid memory of this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I, that's like sort of when I started listening to it. And I just listened to, I remember listening to the Life After Death album a lot and just various Tupac albums that my older brother had. And as the years progressed, my brother's taste changed and he was listening to like a lot of Jay-Z and a lot of Diplomats. And he would always have these like, these like the mixtapes that you would get, you would get at a convenience store for like 10 bucks and it would be like new, it'd be like a DJ clue mixtape mm -hmm. or something like that. So I was listening to a lot of that stuff then, uh, an early 50 cent. And then when I, um, moved to Houston, then I like that, I feel like when I moved to Houston is when I really started realizing that I was like really into the music mm -hmm. because I went to, I lived in Houston from 2001 to, to 2004 which is basically my high school years of 14 to like 17 and a, and a half, as I was still saying at the time. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I didn't say it. No, but to, 
And there it was like there was it was just a really, really vibrant regional scene of music. And it felt like I was, you know, I really appreciated that I got an education in music through my older brother, but I think I really felt more ownership of the music that I listened to in Houston more. And it became more my passion. There was a lot of like really big local rappers. Like there was a Swisher House camp which uh, had like Paul Wall and Chameleonaire and a very, just like a, a Mike Jones. Um, I still remember when somebody was like, have you heard the new guy on Swisher House named Mike Jones? And I was Who? like, there's no way <laughs> someone would choose that as their rap name. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, also, once we were, we were playing this from you doing the Who, we were playing Mad Libs in uh, in some class that I was in, like in grade nine, I think. And uh, the teacher was like, "There's a part. It's like a name, the name of a famous person." And someone's like. Mike Jones and the teacher's like who and we all erupted <laughs> like it's like we could all I, I it's like we could all see it coming and we're like yes please please and she did her part so thank you um but yeah just like I got into all the regional music in Houston which is like Mike Jones Slim Thug uh you had Trey the Truth you had Zero these are all dudes who were basically we considered superstars but would rap about like local things like the the you know the good Chinese chicken spot you know what mm. I mean like Timmy Chan's that's what it was called <laughs> um, you know so that's when I feel like that's when I really started to get into it and around that time is when I really started reading music criticism and music journalism like I remember discovering John Car I read this interview that John Caramonica who works at the New York Times now uh, did with Bun B mm. and I just remember there was one um, he I don't know what the question was but but like he asked him about like he's like I think it might have it might have been something like, uh, "What's like a rhyme that you thought of the other day that you're really like happy of?" Mm. And he was like, "Oh, so like I had this Larry David uh, reference that I really liked." And he's like, what, "Like what was?" It? And he's like, "Tell your boy to curb his enthusiasm before I po- point this motherfucking Uzi at him." <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was really brilliant. And anyway, I just remember like I was like, okay, this guy asked really good questions, John Caramonica. So I started following him. I remember I found his old his old MySpace. And then sort of through that, that's what spawned this whole web, which led me to a lot of other music journalists. And that's when I really felt like I was starting to find people, like adults who were really intelligent, who liked the hip hop that I liked in the way that I liked it. And it wasn't just like, you know, weird rock critics just trying to be like, I want to listen to Talib Kweli. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with Talib Kweli, but there was this like there was this whole thing in music criticism that stems that stemmed from rock critics, especially in the 2000s, where they were like they were only comfortable like talking about the uh, the woke the, yeah the, the conscious, conscious the conscious hip hop because they're like that other stuff is destructive to the black community. I, I, want, I once found uh, Pitchfork's best albums of the 90s list that they published in the early 2000s. And the highest uh, rap record on it, this is not the 90s, which, you know, most people consider to be the golden age of rap music, uh, was um, The Fear of a Black Planet by uh, Public Enemy. And it was at 18. Like most, I think like Wu-Tang might have been at like 90th. And like, you know, maybe there was like like diggable planets and like Arrested Development were on there and mm-hmm. all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like it's crazy how I mean people like John Caramonica and Sean Fennessy and you know all those folks that kind of eventually when Pitchfork started blowing up came in and kind of like helped bring rap into like mainstream criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of an interesting 
thing that happened. Yeah, it's a big change. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that's that's my story. And the follow-up question of what was the first music from Max L you really obsessed over or fell in love with? Do you want to go mm. first? Hmm. Obsessed over. Um, I don't know. I think I would have to say it. It really was these like Swisha House freestyles that like that stemmed out of the DJ Screw tradition, where there would be one beat, like the, fam- the famous, uh, the most famous DJ Screw uh, freestyle, June twenty seventh. It's like one beat, and it's like thirty minutes long, and mm-hmm. a bunch of rappers rap over the freestyle. Like, and it's like a lot are genuine freestyle, like really off the top. Mm-hmm. So Swisha House used to make a bunch of them and they would name them after, like there was this big beach festival in Galveston, Texas, which is like about like a, an hour and some change away. And it was called the Kappa. And it's like basically like an uh, HBCU, like a historically black college and university like party, like a beach party. And so a bunch of people from Houston and around surrounding state, surrounding areas would, would go to, to uh, Galveston and have this huge party. And then Swisha and a lot of artists would go there with their music, like literally in their trunks and like sell CDs out of the back of their cars. Mm-hmm. And then they would also create like custom records for the, for the, 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 the event. event. Yeah. So there would be like before the Kappa and after the Kappa. And so they have these freestyles, which we'll put in our show notes, which are really good. There's like these freestyles of like Paul Wall, Chameleonaire, um, Slim Thug, Little Flip, and they would just and they had and I I remember downloading this stuff off of like LimeWire and Kazaa back in the day, and just like playing it over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and like even to this day, this is like this is all happening like honestly maybe 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. If you if we like pull up this like these videos right now, I can like I can do it word for word like a six minute freestyle, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wow. word for word, because it's seared into my soul, and I feel like that was the first thing that I really felt that I was like, oh my god, like I can't get enough of this, like it's so good, you know what yeah. I mean. For me, like I'm gonna choose to answer this, like as far as like rap music, because I was like there was music was just always a part of my life, and like you know there was my you know I should also mention my older sister. I have two older sisters, and they one of my oldest sister especially was is huge into music and was always playing stuff. Like I remember, he my first rap video I ever saw was like Coolio in 1994, and her playing the Fuji's record over and over. Um, but uh, probably like you know before in the sort of before I became like really diehard about rap music when I was uh, sort of towards the end of high school uh, was in grade 7 when Marshall Mathers LP came out and Chronic 2001 were this sort of just like huge uh, it was just like a huge that those two records just kind of took over that year and those those were I mean to me, to my ear, like Chronic 2001 still is like the best produced rap album in parts ever. Like just in terms of the like the drums and the engineering, it sounds so contemporary in a way that like music inevitably almost always has like a time to the like sonics of it. And Chronic 2001 is just so immaculately produced. Uh, I mean, I remember Kanye saying that he when he first came into like the producing game or not just first came into it, but once he first started being quite successful with Rockefeller and whatever, he was trying to mimic Dre's drums whenever he could from that record because he thought that was like the pinnacle of production. Hmm. Uh, you know what? Now that you mentioned the Marshall Mathers LP, I realized that I forgot a critical juncture of my music listening growing up mm-hmm. and that was Eminem and also by extension D12 yeah and this was happening when I just moved to Houston from Toronto 
And I remember I was really like misanthropic when I went there because I had every school I every school I'd gone to in Toronto before, like my older brother had gone to the school before me and he was a really good basketball player. Mm-hmm. So I was like immediately popular at every school <laughs> I went to. And I was kind of like a class clown and like I don't know, I just like people liked me and you I felt that. I was the man. And then I went to the Houston and I was not the man. Yeah. I was a man. <laughs> you know, was a man of, amongst uh, many. I was just like another another kid. How many I, how many people at your high school in Houston? It was like three thousand kids. It's crazy. It was so big that there was like a school specifically only for people in the ninth grade. It was called the Elsick Ninth Grade Center. Whoa. Um and I mentioned this in a previous episode, but the rapper Max O'Cream is from the exact area in Houston of Houston that I like mm-hmm. lived in. And if you watch his videos, they got a lot of guns in them. Yeah. Which I did not really know at the time that that was an area where there was the guns popping off like that. Right. Um, so it's just funny, one of those things in retrospect. But anyway, I remember listening to the Eminem because like all the Eminem music was all, all about being like alienated and like, you know, f- feeling like a lot of contempt for your peers, especially like high school people and like sh- and like bullies and shit like that. And yeah. like. I, I remember listening to it and just really connecting, like going to school, like on the school bus when it's still dark out, mm-hmm. and just listening to like I don't want to go to school, you know what I mean? like just listening, <laughs> yeah. listening to some D twelve shit, and I'm just yeah. like, man, f- these motherfuckers, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like just feeling the rage and getting it out through Eminem and D twelve. So, uh, shout out to them for for, yeah, for my teenage that my teenage angst years. Yeah, Michael Baxter of the Brampton, 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 Ontario. Uh, who asks, who are your favorite forgotten rappers, rappers that never quite blew up as big as they should have? So, I mean, there's probably a very long list. Mm-hmm, um, but when I saw this question, the first name that popped to mind was Charles Hamilton, hmm. who was, uh, I believe, from Brooklyn, New Brooklyn York. From Brooklyn. Uh, and he was like, this is like in the like 2008. 2007, 2008, yeah. the early, 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 early like blog years where yeah. rappers were trying to bl- break out through being posted on like Nah Right mm-hmm. and like getting, getting, um, just getting accolades essentially from br- bl- like MP3 bloggers. And he just seemed to have, he was kind of like a post Kanye, really He's clever. Pre-cutty. Pre Post Kanye, pre Cuddy, yeah. like had this, like he was kind of had a bit of nerd charm, was funny. Yeah, sing, but all, singy a little bit. Singy, was, but it was also like, he he was had a wholesome vibe, but also would have a video and like the lead the lead uh, video person is like an adult film star. Like so, he was like he had like a, an interesting mixture of like of accessibility with a little bit of edge, and was just really a truly outstanding lyricist. Mm-hmm. And I remember he had this this his first single. I mean, he was signed to in- Interscope, and then I th- went through kind of like had essentially. Uh, a, like a mental health breakdown, sort of, the, and I think some of it stemmed from just like having this blog, like being built up by the blogs mm-hmm. and then being torn down by the blogs. Yeah, and he, I mean, he started out hot with the song "Brooklyn Girls," and then he just never really got like after after he kind of like burned out and had issues with like his mental health. He had a few opportunities again, and even like last year, he he had been he got a new deal with Columbia, and they put out a record. But like, it's like his moment was lost, and I feel like he really like. It's like he seemed to have a lot of a lot of upside and a lot of potential, and he never even got like like close in the slightest bit to achieving like what he seemed to be capable of. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a sad case of that someone getting uh, chewed up and spit up by the industry. Mm. Um, I would have I have two answers because. Um, the first person that com- came to mind is uh, Fam Lay, 
who was uh, this rapper that was on Star Trek, which was uh, Pharrell Williams' early record label. And he, like, I don't, I have a feeling that family maybe didn't have the best, like, work ethic. But, like, if you look him up, almost every single song he has is amazing because he got prime Neptune's production. And he had this, like, really great flow that was really, like, bouncy and fun. And he has a song on uh, the Neptune's, like, Presents record. Is he, it rock and roll? It is indeed. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. And he's got uh, a song on the clips on uh, Hell, uh, no, sorry, uh, Lord Willing. It's a f- the family freestyle. Oh, yeah. Uh, which has a great remix featuring T.I. and Scarface. I believe. Okay. If you want, looking for family deep cuts. <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he, he was, and like he, I mean, I remember in the early days of, of like Twitter following him and he was just always posting about going to the club and never about music. So, you know, I think he was also kind of maybe a bodyguard ish figure for okay. Pharrell in okay. Virginia. Okay. Um, anyway, I would have loved, he, he, it's just like he, he had a song like Hit Me On My Beeper, which was really good. He, it's like every, it was just a guy that every single song he ever put out, which was very sporadic, was great. <laughs> uh, and I don't know that he was ever destined to be a star, but it's like he probably has an album that never got released. Mm. And uh, I would love to hear it just even for the production alone, let alone the fact that he's a pretty good rapper. Um, and But my second person I would like think I wish that he'd had a just a better career uh, that he deserved to have maybe a little bit more so is uh, Gunplay who is a mm. rapper on uh, Rick Ross's label who maybe wrote a little bit for Rick Ross mm. uh, and has an amazing mixtape called 601, 601 and Snort, Snort. <laughs> originally called 106 and Snort which is a, a playoff obviously of the, the great teen television program 106 and Park Yeah, um, and then BET was like nah B. Yeah. like we can't have you do yeah. that and he's like well what if I reverse the numbers Yeah, and uh it, the copyright lawyers are like, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he had he had he had a little run that was yes, like I, amazing. Was it like 2012 maybe? 2012. 2012. He had a song called Bible on the Dash, which yeah, is still like now like honestly I think is like a it, really great. Song. It's a classic. Yeah, that song's a classic. Um, that that mixtape is a classic for me. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's in my my top 50 records of this decade, um, and. Uh, you know, he has a song. If you haven't heard this song, no matter if you're listening to this, please, you can pause it or wait, wait till after. You cue it up. A song with Kendrick Lamar called Cartoons and Serial, which in my opinion may still be Kendrick's best song. Hmm. It is so good. And uh, it's like, I think it's like, it's good kid era Kendrick. Mm-hmm. And it was always a mystery, mystery to me that it didn't make the record because it was like perfect thematically for that record. Mm. Uh, it's and it's so so good. So I wish Gunplay had had a longer career. I thought he was quite talented. True. I, I recently came across a quote of Kendrick talking about the confusion that everyone had when he was like Gunplay. Like that's who I want on this record. <laughs> yeah. They're like Gunplay. <laughs> um, but justice for Gunplay, he's on uh, Love and Hip Hop Miami right now. Um, and he's a very entertaining man. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a wild. He's a wild guy. He's a wild guy. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a question from Daniel E, who is from Toronto, Ontario, and he's like, his question is, "Happy Chance or Angry Chance? Who makes a better tune?" So Angry Chance may be pushing it, but not on, less Happy Chance. Yes, yeah, slightly less Happy Chance. But on on the four pack of songs that Chance the Rapper released 
last week. Um, he does really kind of go down his list of enemies or people who have who, who, who slighted <laughs> him, which includes uh, Governor Rauner, the Republican governor of Illinois, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, people on Twitter who <laughs> were getting at him for uh, perceived issues with child support. Um yeah, he just he he really he really like this 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 last these four pack of songs were like it was like him kind of like firing back at people who had criticized him. Mm-hmm. And so I mean some of whom criticized him rightly, mm-hmm. but I really did enjoy like the defiance of it. Like I feel like Chance like I really I love acid rap. I think it's a classic. Mm-hmm. And I, I I enjoyed Coloring Book when it came out, but now I find some of it kind of hard to listen to. Um and I'm, you know, I'm happy that Chance is happy, mm-hmm. but I also like Chance with a little bit of edge. You know? I'm a hundred percent with you. So like acid, acid rap, like it's it's inherent in the name. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like it's like I'm doing drugs, kids. Yeah, and you know, like not, yeah, not angry Chance, but like, and I actually would say any emotional state, but like very happy Chance is the Chance that I I like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, other than the problem of Culling Book, where he like mimics the flows of the featured rappers that are on it for some mm-hmm. reason, which mm-hmm. I did not care for at all, especially coming from someone who is a really good rapper. Uh, yeah, he's, he's at his best when he's sort of stepping into interesting emotional places rather than just his sort of default, which is this like happy, enthusiastic state, his sort of more introspective state, his like sort of reflective or uh, sort of more maybe even like melancholy mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. states. Stuff like that is like where I think Chance is at his best. Uh, the really happy stuff is just not for me. Yeah, and I think even on this on this last record, he has, there's a lot of really good stuff and really good stuff about his relationships and like, he has this one line where um, I'm talking about his relationship with his fiance and the mother of his child where he's talking about, he's like, he has this one line, he's like, I was coming home every single night, but I was still trying to live like I was single, right? Mm. And I was like, that is the kind of, that's the kind of thing that people want out of Drake. Yes, They want exactly. Drake to examine his own behavior and how that contributes to the issues that he has in relationships, but he never, which he never seems to do. Mm-hmm. Like all he does is like, and then they're on Instagram and what's up with that? Yeah. I you'll never catch me on Instagram. Yeah. Meanwhile, you log on. Drake has posted six new photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like it's that's the, and I feel like that's the kind of like artistic growth that I mean, just for me listening to this like four pack of of Chance songs that made it so compelling and so interesting and so new because you've never heard Chance talk about these kind of flaws in this mm-hmm. way and and you've also never really it's not really a part of his public persona for you to think of him like that yeah so that's that's what i found really interesting about about those four songs and that's also i think part of the reason why i love him so much yeah so uh to answer the question just just not effusively happy chance just chance with some you know a little slight edge we'll touch a touch a touch of some saucy edge mm-hmm. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the week where we recommend four songs based on artists that we have mentioned on this episode, of songs that we think you guys should listen to. Um, I will start, uh, and I'm just going to go off with Charles Hamilton, the song I mentioned, Brooklyn Girls. Just a really, really fun song from a bygone era, and it really just like hints at what could have been. Hipster rap. Hipster rap. It was the early days of hipster rap, and like... He had pink, pink headphones. That was uh, mm-hmm. one of his gimmicks. And Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is other gimmick. So <laughs> Brooklyn Girls is a fun and funny song, and you should absolutely check it out. Uh, 
this Chance the Rapper song I'm going to recommend is called I Just Might Need Security, which is the title of Jamie Foxx's lone stand-up comedy special. <laughs> and the hook, which is a really elegant singing of the words, fuck you, are Jamie, is Jamie Foxx's voice. Um, <laughs> and it's just really sampled very well. And it's, uh, it is a very, it's a slightly cantankerous chance, which you don't always get. So enjoy it while we have it. Um, going to recommend a song from the New York rapper that I mentioned earlier, Casanova. Uh, Casanova's a really interesting artist. He's like just an, like a straight up like New York goon. ASAP Rocky has a really great story about how Casanova looked out for him in jail and mm-hmm. how that, that's why he like rides for Casanova now. So we'll also include that in the show notes. But um, the song that I'm recommending is called Set Trippin'. And it was loosely taken, uh, or maybe not loosely taken, it was just taken as a Takashi 6ix9ine diss because Set Trippin' is where you're, you know, you're hanging out with different gangs and you just seem to be playing being all wishy-washy. So that's sort of what the song is about. Um, there, earlier this year, James and I went to a Jay Electronica concert and at, at certain moments in between like crowd banter and songs, Jay Electronica would just break out into singing like the hook of the song, which is a uh, punch you in your face, motherfucker, I'll knock your teeth out. <laughs> it, was, it was really enjoyable. Um, and the I'm going to recommend a song from some Houston rappers uh, from my childhood. Uh, it's Paul Wall and Chameleonaire. So a lot of people don't know this, but Paul Wall and Chameleonaire used to rap as a duo. Um, they were they were like rapping buds. They were they were <laughs> they were they used to wear matching SpongeBob watches. Don't ask why. <laughs> don't ask why. And we didn't think it was weird. In fact, we loved it. Um, so they have this one really fantastic <laughs> release called "Get Your Mind Correct," which is honestly a Houston classic. I think anybody who was a teenager uh, at that time could tell you. And they have this, the, the breakout song from this record is a song called In Love With My Money. And even now, like the hook is just like, it's it so just good. it just takes me back. And it's really, I, I feel like for me, when I think of like the Houston sound and Houston rap, outside of freestyles and outside of like a DJ Screw stuff, like In Love With My Money is like basically right up there with like the best example. So those are my four songs. It's also a sight to behold uh, to see that song come on and the way Jordan reacts and raps along to it so <laughs> effortlessly. Um, so for my four songs, uh, I've got a family, uh, Rollin' Rock, uh, which is you know probably one of the family songs I could be sure is on streaming sites. Uh, I you know if you can check out some other family on YouTube or maybe LimeWire. Uh, My next song is uh, from another up-and-coming or maybe already slightly arrived New York rapper, A Boogie, maybe still with the hoodie. (laughs) Uh, And the song is called Timeless. Uh, Then I'm going to have two kind of gunplay songs, one being Cartoons and Serial. If you haven't already listened to it, now's your chance. And Gunplay's Bible on the Dash, great uh, sort of like, you know, driving off a cliff, being chased by police type song. So if you find yourself in that situation, put that on. So that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Just want to give a shout out to all the listeners, all the people who sent us questions today. We really appreciate it. Uh, We appreciate all your listeners and continuing to spread the word. We appreciate when you post it on your Instagram stories and you tag us. Yes, that's the best. Thank you. It's such a a gratifying feeling. It really is. It's very motivating. Please do it. It, uh, it's it's just it's really it's a nice. good way to spread the podcast yeah. and um, it's a good way to show love. Yeah. And you know we some, love you. Yeah. And that's when you show us you love us. Yeah, we feel we love it. that. We feel it. We really do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
One yes. last thing. One last thing. If you're listening to this to the day that it drops, which is Friday, July 27th, there is a Boosie Fade party tonight in Toronto. And let me tell you, this is one you're going to want to be at. Like, I feel like the <laughs> energy. Gonna, yeah, I, oh, my God. The Drake album's been out for a month. People Mother, digested it. Motherfuckers know the songs. Yeah. They know the moments. We got like, you know, still got like Cardi B. There's a lot of stuff to listen to. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of a lot of good music out Summer right now. Summer Boosie Fades are just like on another level. They really honestly. are. They're honestly, it's like I would go as far as to say they're a once in a lifetime experience. Yes, or at least once a year. three times in a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> it's the three. It's probably three yeah. solid summer ones, yeah. maybe four. Yeah, but for sure three. And tonight is one of them, and you will want to be at Parts and Labor with us. So yeah. pull up. <laughs>